You're listening to Purple 3 Cat, your place for 100% biased, 100% Minnesotan discussion about our purple. Well, the wild roller coaster ride that is being a Minnesotan Vikings fan continues. From Sam Bradford's 346 and 3 to Case Keenum's 167 and 0. Ouch. Of course, there's much more to the story. We bring that to you just ahead. You're listening to Purple 3 Cap. All right, welcome back, Purple Nation, for another edition of Purple 3 Cap. I'm Carl Bates, joined as always, by Quinn Jurgens and Nicole Prajapati. A lot to talk about, of course, um, as there's there's been two games to open the season. We just witnessed a very disappointing performance, a 26-9 loss. But we're going to start the discussion with a very, very optimistic Week 1 victory over the New Orleans Saints, a 29-19 win, one in which Sam Bradford threw for almost 350 yards and three touchdowns. And Quinn, you were at the game. Uh, talk about, first, of course, Randy Moss and his homecoming. It is always great to see number 80, or 84 back in town. Oh, man. Seeing him blow the Galler horn early on before the game started, fantastic. Seeing him start off his speech saying, get your 84 jerseys out back home. And then just talk about how great the fans were, paying homage to the great Denny Green, rest in peace. It brought back all the nostalgia of all of us growing up, seeing Dante Culpepper and Randy Moss throw the deep ball to number 84. But that pales in comparison to how great that game was, how really the offense played mistake-free, how the defense epitomized Ben Don't Break. They allowed three field goals, which were 25 yards or fewer, meaning they allowed that team to get in to the goal line and would have been perfect Adrian Peterson territory, but they denied number 28 the end zone. They did not want to see him come back to town and after how much he's put this organization through, get that revenge. They stopped him. They stuffed him. And they allowed that offense to do what it does best, play control football. And then once they were able to protect, Bradford took the top off the defense. Yeah, I think let's let's start talking about the defensive performance because, as we know, the New Orleans Saints, they are no slouch on offense. Drew Brees, year in and year out, throwing for an ungodly amount of yards. Um, and, and so it can't be understated. I mean, I feel like 19 points actually doesn't quite do enough credit to our, our defensive performance. Yeah, they were excellent on defense. We had some really, really good uh, defensive stands. The sack numbers might not have um, reflected how well we did, but the defense was overall really good in limiting um Drew Brees, one, which is difficult to do, and then two, making sure Adrian Peterson didn't go off on us because we've we've been lucky enough to see him do amazing things for us, but the fact that he only ran for, what, 18 yards or something like that on six carries, which is, is pretty good. So there's a, there was a 
you know, a vengeance on the defense. You know, we finally get to hit Adrian Peterson. Let's not make his homecoming a good one. So um, defense was pretty, pretty, pretty amazing. And again, yeah, that 19 points, we probably is, uh, probably is too much, honestly, in order to really get the idea of how, how well that defense is playing. Additionally, that touchdown that they did get was a garbage time touchdown to Colby Fleener when it was 29 to 12. And the defense was just kind of playing the, all right, we're going to run cover four, allow 10 to 12 yard passes all they want, just keep them in bounds, keep that clock running. And then they just kind of threw that, threw that skinny post in to Fleener. And to his credit, Breeze had some terrific throws where you just kind of look at it and think there are maybe two or three other quarterbacks in the game who can make that throw. But outside of those, he had nothing to go off of. Now, I think there were two major storylines going into this. Of course, the return of Adrian Peterson, and we'll get to that in just a little bit, touched on it a little bit. But uh, the other big storyline was who is going to play slot cornerback for us. Um, And it looked like going in to week one that it was going to be Mackenzie Alexander, our new uh, acquisition, Tremaine Brock, inactive, um, and Nguyen has played primarily on the outside for us. Um, But we saw him play a lot of slot and Mackenzie not quite get as many snaps. Uh, What did you you think of uh, our defensive backs? I... At this point, I'd kind of be surprised if Mackenzie Alexander does much in his pro career. And I'm saying that on the record. Uh, You can hold me to that later this year if Mackenzie Alexander has about five pick sixes in the next 12 games. But I I just don't see much from him. Um, Well, I just want to say that Mike Zimmer has a history of bringing defensive backs on slowly. I mean, we saw that with Trey Waynes. Mm-hmm. Um, and Xavier Rhodes. And, and Xavier Rhodes, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, we it's kind of a luxury to have Terrence Newman on the roster, but I would hope to see in maybe the second half of the season Mackenzie Alexander taking some of those snaps because he is younger, he is faster. I mean, if he could learn from Terrence Newman a little bit, um, I think – he's going to end up being a fine corner. I mean, he, he played well at Clemson, and, and it's a good – that's a good school. It's an ACC school. I mean, they play good competition there. So um, I think I, my hope is that I see Mackenzie Alexander later in the season. Um, I think it's just part of Zimmer's defense to go with people that he trusts right away. Well, part of it is the luxury wasn't having Terrence Newman. It was having Captain Munerlin in the last few years. And now that – cap is gone, you think, okay, Mackenzie Alexander's the heir apparent, but what do they do? They go out and trade for Tremaine Brock right before the season starts, which that doesn't inspire a lot of confidence. So that's really where I'm coming from. Now let's talk a little bit about uh, our rookie starter on the uh, on the defense, Ben Gideon. Uh, what, what did you think about his performance, Nicole? Obviously, as as a as a Michigan man, <laughs> yeah, no. So I was uh, ridiculed a little bit earlier off off air by saying I would never say anything bad about a Michigan man, which you know may or may not be true. But Gideon, I thought, got better as the game went on. Um, I think early he was maybe a step or two slow on covering um, tight ends, primarily like in coverage, but um, you know. 
ended up being a really sure tackler. I think he did all that you could expect for him to do. He wasn't like a world beater or anything like that, but he ended up being in the right place at the right time. The The biggest play that stood out to me was the um, Adrian Peterson play action at the goal line. He actually bumped Adrian off his route, you know, mess, messes up the timing on that play. And uh, the Saints are forced to just, you know, throw it out the back of the end zone. So he, I think he did good enough for a rookie. And uh, he did exactly what, what um, the defense wanted him to do. I need to see more. Now, Quinn, what was the reception for Adrian Peterson like? He was back booed. and, and he playing was in another jersey. Booed. You know, after what he's put this team through in the last several years with the child abuse scandal the just kind of lackluster work ethic uh, for coming back from the injury last year. It's, he has, granted, since 2007, he has given this team a lot. But just over the last few off-seasons, it seems like every week there was a new story in the news about how much of a pain in the you-know-what Adrian Peterson has been. And... Just seeing him go somewhere else after he was demanding being paid $18 million. That just was unrealistic. Get signed for $7 million over two years and is only on the field for nine snaps. And then, of course, as so many of you would have seen on Monday Night Football, his kind of jarring at Sean Payton where he says nothing was going on. Sean Payton says nothing was going on, but come on. I mean, what what was really satisfying for me is that our rookie running back, Dalvin Cook, ends up breaking his rookie record. Um, he rushes for 127 yards, which beats Adrian's, I think, 124 um, as, a, as a rookie. So, like, I mean, clearly the decision was correct to, you know, move on from this type of offense, this, this type of back, you know, get some new blood in there you know, not deal with the headaches that he was causing. Because at the end of the day, what is he, 30, 31? Peterson? Yeah. 32. 32-year-old back. I mean, I don't think he was going to put give us that much um, offensively anyway. And when you have, like, last season I was saying, you're kind of, if you pay a back that much money, you kind of have to give him touches. So, I mean, it was it was nice to see that Dalvin Cook was able to step into uh, that that running back role fairly seamlessly, and we 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 had a good win there. Yeah, let's move over to talking about the offensive side of the ball, and let's let's talk some more about Dalvin Cook. Twenty two carries, mm-hmm. one hundred twenty seven yards. Yeah, he was really good. He, I, he, I think it was a little jittery at first, but. Uh, you know, as the game went on, he, he looked really, really good, and I'm, I'm happy to have him on our team now. And I think that's something that really speaks to it, is the fact that I don't think we had, I know we didn't have a 100-yard rusher last year, and I don't believe we had anyone get 20 carries in a single game. So that's, when you can have a single back that can get more than 20 carries, that's saying that you can control the clock and that you have enough faith in a guy to take the ball and do your thing. Yeah, he ended up being a a three-down back in that game. Which we haven't had for a long... I mean, Peterson was not a three-down back for for a number of years. Well, yeah, I mean, the problem with Peterson is that even though he said he had good hands, he didn't. And, you know, there were times when his pass protection was a little shaky. But Dalvin Cook, I mean, he steps in, he 
shows he can catch passes. He did surprisingly well in pass pro. I thought he would definitely be taken out in third downs for pass pro, but he looked pretty, pretty good on that. So, I mean, we might have a bona fide, you know, three down back, back in Minnesota again. And of course, we talked about Bradford having a big game, but so did our two standout wide receivers. And what I found really interesting is Adam Thielen, nine catches, 157 yards. With those statistics, he still managed to get overshadowed by Stephon Diggs, who made some absolutely phenomenal catches. That's because Diggs brought, you know, the razzle-dazzle. Adam Thielen just put in the hard yards and was always catching the 20-yard crossing routes, getting 15 yards after catch, and then Diggs would come in and get the touchdown. So They're a good one-two punch. Um, I, I really like how, you know, Diggs can take the top off the defense. He has, you know, the, he has a personality too, you know, the razzle-dazzle. The swagger. Yeah, exactly. So... He's the guy that's going to get the spotlight most of the time if both of these guys have a good game because of who he is. But Thielen did some good work underneath, moved the chains, got the important yardage that might not show up in the We haven't forgotten game. about you, Adam. Don't worry. Don't worry. Yeah. We got you. But, uh, yeah, really, really solid game by both the receivers. Bradford. I mean, the whole offensive unit looked really good. Even the offensive the line. Yeah. Now, I think there were, to me, uh, and you guys can, of course, correct me if I'm wrong, but there was kind of two negatives to this game. Uh, first is really, I think, our, our major free agent acquisition in Latavius Murray. Uh, I think he has a carry and a, a fumble, right? He's been banged up, hasn't really had a preseason, but certainly very disappointing to see that. I mean, yeah, it's disappointing to see that, but I think eventually he'll become a part of this offense you know I think we gave him a carry there if it went well he might have played a little more but again it goes back to how well Cook has been playing if he can if Cook has shown that you know I'm the best back on this team and I deserve to be third down back or three down back I mean Latavius Murray yeah I was happy with the signing but if you don't need him, you don't need him, you know? And I think organically he will get more into this offense as the season goes on. I I was surprised that he didn't get in a little more, but I think it just will happen. And I think this will be a pretty decent segue into you talking about uh, into the next game, but uh, the other detractor, I think, for me was Kai Forbath. He, he hit his field goals, but he missed an extra point. Of um, course he did. Which is something that uh, yeah. raises pl- some anxiety like for Vikings fans. the Vikings. I mean, More than any other team in yeah. the league. We've had Blair Walsh and Forbath now, who for some ungodly reason cannot make extra points. Like they'll, the, the, the worst part is they'll make 30-yard field goals for three points, but then when it comes to the extra point, they'll push it left or right. You know, The Vikings should just go for two every single time. They've got oh, yeah. the personnel for it now. I, I don't know why more teams don't just do that. Yeah. I mean, you saw Pittsburgh line up for two right away after their first score. It's, uh, I think, especially with the, the mass inconsistencies. It's not just like one every like 10, 12, 13 games. It's, it, it, at this point, it happens one every single game. We're missing extra points. And... We will talk about this later, but it affects the score at the end of the day. It affects how you run your offense and run your time management and everything. So, I mean, 
Yeah, I agree with you there. Two points. Go for go for two with the inconsistency we have in the uh, kicking game. So I want to talk now, moving over to the game this afternoon um, against the Pittsburgh Steelers. I want to talk a little bit more about the special teams as a unit as a whole. Uh, again, another extra point missed. But our special teams, uh, I think, has been... There's been some inconsistencies, of course, in the kicking game, but as a whole, special teams has been a strength of the team uh, in terms of both returners in previous years. Last year, for example, Cordero Patterson, Marcus Sherrills, two of the best at their positions um, in punt and kick returning, and also our coverage um, was very, very good. Um, Really strong play by our gunners, um, and today... We, we haven't quite seen uh, explosiveness in the return game, and we also, for example, have uh, a fake punt that is not converted, um, missed extra points. So what do you, what do you guys think about, uh, think about special teams? Yeah, the- Cut Jarek McKinnon. Don't <laughs> let him touch the ball. I could tackle that guy. Yeah, I mean, the fact that he's, he's not Cordell Patterson, right? Like, he's returning kicks 107, 108 yards. Literally. Like, he's trying to do it seven, eight yards deep in the end zone. Like, man, you don't got the speed to, to do that, and you're getting tackled at the, you know, 14-yard line, 13-yard line. And more importantly, that's another first down that our offense has to get right. anytime they take the field. So Exactly. And, and, you know, you could kind of excuse that when it's Patterson running it out because – the chances that he, you know, goes the distance is much higher, but McKinnon hasn't shown that he can take it the distance yet. And he, like, it's just uninspiring out of that end zone. I think part of the mirage is he returned one in the fourth preseason game, which really, of course, as we know, is not a very good indicator of that. And a dollar will get you a cup of coffee at McDonald's. Yeah. I mean, the special, special teams has been the, the kicking game in terms of extra points has been terrible. Return game, setting up our offense to start out drives has not been great. I mean, punting and coverage might be good, but honestly, this special teams unit as a whole has been a big drop-off from from seasons past. Well, we're only two games in, and the big Thus one, far, the big one was that God-awful penalty for too many men on one side of the field. You had two players off the ball. You cannot have that penalty called. And, of course, their guy misses it. And then once the penalty is called, they get a re-kick, and he makes it right down the middle. So that was a four-point swing in special teams when you count the extra point as well as that originally missed field goal. So I... Uh, I tell you, man, I tell you. It's highly disappointing. All right. Well, we've got a lot more to break down in our disappointing loss against the Pittsburgh Steelers. We'll bring it to you just in a moment. But first up, after the, after the break, flag on the play. So now it's back to everyone's favorite segment, and that is flag on the play. Something stupid, something just irrational, or something that just makes you say, come on, that happens this week in the NFL. 
And so I'm going to put you put yourself in the position where you are sitting there watching a football game with your team against their rivals. And their rivals just happen to be a very good team with a certain very good player. For us, we're, we're Vikings fans, so we get exposed to this a lot every time we pay, play the Green Bay Packer, Packers. Imagine you're a Jets fan for the four or five of you out there watching Tom Brady and the New England Patriots. I just hate watching it when certain announcers, whether it be John Gruden or Chris Collinsworth, just decide to start going on a player and just singing praises of them for the next three and a half hours and exclusively talking about how Aaron Rodgers has a chip on his shoulder because he fell to the 24th overall pick in 2004 and had to sit behind Brett Favre, or how Tom Brady came out of nowhere being the 199th overall pick, or how Peyton Manning was able to see defenses before they were even drawn up, or how... I don't know, any quarterback can even anticipate who the coach is going to be three years before that coach even retires from playing football. I am sick and tired of it. Start talking about, I don't know, anybody else on the football field. Instead of talking about Peyton Manning in the 2006 Colts, tell us about Reggie Wayne and Dallas Clark. That's a dated reference, but I don't care. Nicole, what's your flag on the play? That's a great flag on the play, and let me just say that. But my flag on the play Ooh, is... Ooh, a compliment from Nicole. I dig it. I dig <laughs> it. Thanks, man. Thanks. My flag on the play is with the people that do throw flags on the play. Whoa. The officials. The zebras. So the zebras. We have gone after the officials before on this show. But what we have seen a lot of lately is officials don't seem to know the difference between defensive holding and defensive pass interference, two penalties that seem to affect the Vikings a lot every single time we play. No. The defensive holding call is a five-yard, ten-yard penalty. Five-yard five-yard automatic automatic first first down. down. And the defensive pass interference is a spot foul. So what ends up happening more often than not is that our defensive backs will hold. Right? And Aaron Rodgers, Big Ben, I don't care who it is, will throw a ball, I don't know, 60 yards downfield, and they will call a defensive pass interference on our cornerbacks. Now, if that was just a holding call, which it should be if you hold someone, not impede the path of the ball getting to the receiver, that's a five-yard penalty and an automatic first down. I'd much rather take that than a 56-yard penalty down to our like seven yard line, giving the other team great field position to throw a touchdown against us. It's, I mean, I, it's I feel like that happened once, maybe twice today. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, the Steelers' best play in the first half of this game was a forty nine yard defensive pass interference call. They didn't do anything on offense except for just throw it in the air and hope that the refs threw a flag, in which they do against the Vikings, but. They need to know the difference, or they need to tell people what the difference is between defensive holding and defensive pass interference because it doesn't seem like there's a distinction, and I feel like they'll only call defensive pass interference instead of holding. And that's my flag on the play. How about you, Carl? Yeah, my flag on the play uh, is also 
in relation to to the game today as well. And if if you notice in the broadcast, Le'Veon Bell is wearing a pink mouth guard, and that of course is not uh, team uniform color. And there's a good chance that he's going to receive a fine from the NFL. And of course, in Pittsburgh, there's a history of running backs in the backfield wearing pink. And why is that? Well, D'Angelo Williams wanted to wear pink cleats. He was fined and ended up, uh, you know, dyeing his hair at the the tips pink um, to honor his mother, um, who died of breast cancer. And uh, to me, it's disappointing um, that uh, the NFL needs to feel they need to step in and, you know, limit the uh, the speech of the players who are just trying to, you know, frankly, do the right thing. Um, and so that's my flag on the play. Stupid Roger Goodell. Let's just throw that out there. Oh, yeah, definitely. Should be said every week. But should, should we didn't be. we didn't say it at our uh, last episode. No, we didn't. So, yeah. so we got to say it twice. Now, okay. So. You throw it in there yeah, again, Nicole. Stu- stupid Roger Goodell. Okay, good. Well, welcome back, Purple 3 Cap listeners. The biggest storyline uh, in this break between games was this uh, magical appearance of perhaps a serious knee issue for Sam Bradford. And to me, uh, the two games thus far are really a tale of two quarterbacks, Bradford against the New Orleans Saints. Granted, New Orleans Saints defense is not the same as the Pittsburgh Steelers defense, but... Bradford, almost 350 yards, three touchdowns. This week, Case Keenum, 20 for 37, 167 yards. Ooh, very disappointing. So first off, I mean, what do you guys think? I, th- I Personally, I think it was probably the correct decision to not uh, rush Sam Bradford into playing on a knee that perhaps could risk even further injury moving forward. I would agree with that because Pittsburgh is a team, as we all know, that likes to blitz a lot on nearly every play, as they did with Keenum, and likely they would have done the same thing, maybe even to knock Sam Bradford out uh, because they would have seen that opportunity there, and I'd say odds are Bradford would have gotten knocked out for maybe even a longer uh, period of time. And even if Bradford does play, you're playing him um, on the road against Pittsburgh, which is never an easy game. So even if he's playing, yeah, the game's going to be closer, but I just don't know that we end up winning. Yeah, I tend to agree with that that take as well. I mean, why risk the rest of your season on one game? Hopefully he's back next week, but, uh, you know, we, we kind of sold our souls for Sam Bradford last year, and Someone might be coming to collect now with that knee injury, so. <laughs> Certainly. I mean, this is just classic Vikings. I mean, this is, um, you know, prime time, the opening Monday night game of the season, and overwhelmingly positive press nationally about this team and about Sam Bradford. And then, out of the blue, his twice-surgically repaired knee swells up to the size of a, of a beach ball, and, and here we are. Um, I think, to me... About this game, uh, the it was announced this morning, hour, hour and a half before kickoff, that Sam Bradford would not dress. Case Keenum is our starting quarterback. To me, it felt like 
regardless uh, of the outcome of a game, it felt like going in, we were already waving the white flag. Do you think that really had an impact on the players? Do you think that just just, uh, something that kind of really was more felt in the fan base? I mean, I think that the players probably knew Sam Bradford wasn't going to play or might be limited. I think the fans, understandably... I mean, when you go from Sam Bradford to Case Keenum, there's not going to be an, a lot of confidence in the first place, right? That being said, I'm 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 more glad I have Case Keenum, Keenum versus Sean Hill. Sean Hill, right? So I I don't know. I think the fan base as a as a whole, this game was going to be tricky with Sam Bradford, but when you lose someone like that, and you got to put in a quarterback that hasn't doesn't necessarily have a lot of chemistry with the ones. I don't think there's a lot of optimism in the first place. So I don't know if the players necessarily felt that because you kind of go, it's their job. You kind of have to, you know, win games. I don't think it really affects them that much. But I think as a fan base, you know, once you lose Sam Bradford, you're kind of like, all right, well, let's see how well we can do in this game. Yeah, I think considering how well the defense played, and they did play very well, because when you think about it, in the first half, the Vikings gained about, 65 plus or minus a few yards and they were still kind of in the game it was 14 to 3 or it may have been 17 to 3 but it included a three and out with a fourth down go for it with a fake punt awful nightmare and the defense stuck around it hung around we were only down 17 to 9 still in the game And then just what kept on going was offense just couldn't get much going. And the defense kept on being out on the field and they just kept on holding the Steelers to field goals. And to me, that's a big, big positive that really until the Vikings started going for it on fourth down, it was only 20 to nine. So I don't think they gave up at all on defense. I just think they became overwhelmed. Yeah, I mean, I think, of course, the defense's biggest issue today was the number of penalties given up. We've talked about the pass interference calls, but, of course, there is that also, that really horrible uh, defensive offside call on, on Brian Robison on fourth down that extended the drive that led yeah, to that, points. Yeah, that was the correct call, though. Yeah, like, Right, sorry, horrible yeah. in the sense that it was a right, yeah, very it was, poor play. It was play. poorly timed, right? Like, it was fourth and one. They were at their... I don't know, 35-yard line maybe, Steelers 35, Steelers 30. Like The chances of them actually snapping that ball in that situation are slim to none. And I think everyone in the stadium, everyone watching, everyone knew that it was going to be a hard count there. And someone as experienced as Robinson, there's no excuse there to jump Especially when you're right next to the ball. Right, exactly. Like, wh- why are you even reacting to sound at that point? Like, you just look at the ball and... You know, more likely than not, they weren't going to snap it there. They were going to just call a timeout. But that kind of gave them new life. And, you know, and that's kind when of a... they went up seven to nothing <laughs> yeah, and exactly. got, on the, got on the board first. You know, Carl said when Pittsburgh scored that first touchdown, God, I wanted to be the first team to score here because I really it was over the second they got that touchdown. Mm-hmm. Yep. It was uh, it was. I think overall a pretty rough game to watch from a Vikings perspective. It was defensively, it was like a slow bleed out. 
And offensively, it was just abysmal. Like, they Which won- is kind of what you had to expect with Case Keenum playing on the road against that defense. Yeah, true. That I could not have expected much more from that. So for me, two bright sparks on defense were the two players that were questionable going into this game, and both were active, and I think both played very, very well. Anthony Barr's hamstring didn't look to be bothering too much. He had a couple really explosive, very nice plays. And Xavier Rhodes shut down Antonio Brown, of course, the most dangerous receiver in the NFL. I think uh, Brown had, what, six catches, and only three of them were against Rhodes, and I think the other three were against linebackers for some reason. But, yeah, um, Rhodes just ran with him down the field, and I I know a couple plays. He was down one-on-one. They bombed it deep, and... Ball fell incomplete, no penalties. Surprisingly. Surprisingly. <laughs> yeah, I think Rhodes did really well, and Barr looked like that injury wasn't bothering him too much. Um, I kind of want to go back one week to... Uh, I know we were singing the praises of Terrence Newman, and I might be in the minority here, but I think he's getting to the point where he might be getting just too old to stick with some of these receivers. I know he was burned multiple times against uh, uh, Thomas, I think, for the Saints. I mean, you could visibly see he couldn't catch up to him. And today, Not Thomas, a different guy. You're just saying Thomas because he's the most well-known of the Saints it's receivers. It's Ohio State guy. Yeah, but it was a different guy, the faster number 13. guy. No, it was number 11. Oh, I thought it was Thomas. No, they shut down Thomas. Okay, well... Regardless, um, come on, keep up. Keep up. <laughs> you don't know 11's name, I don't, but I know it wasn't Thomas. I thought it was Thomas. It's no, a, you just thought it was Thomas because he's the most only well known Saints receiver now that they don't have Brandon Cooks anymore. All right, moving on. Anyway, Ted Ginn. yeah, anyway, T- Ted Ginn was it Ted Ginn? All right, Ted Ginn's 19. This was number. Oh, I'm gonna look this up. Okay, anyway, um, Terrence Newman looked like he couldn't keep up with, regardless of who that receiver was, whether it be Thomas Ginn or whoever this mystery number 11 is. But he just I felt like he's just a step slow. I know today um, it wasn't necessarily his fault, but maybe a corner with a little more speed makes the tackle before um, Martavis Bryant gets into the end zone. I know Sandejo had a little bit of a bust there coming down from the safety position. But if you have a little more speed, maybe he tackles him. You know, defense has a chance to stop them from getting into the end zone. But he might he might be getting past that hump there where he's not able to stick with some of these guys. And, you know, hopefully, again, Mackenzie Alexander or someone can, can come back and... Travis Lewis is the name, number 11. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Um... Someone can come back and, and, you know, kind of spell him and push him out into retirement, you know? That's cold. That's ice cold. Let's move over to the offensive side of the ball now. Case Keenum really had nothing um, going forward, but I I don't think it was a great performance by by the offensive line either. No, it it really wasn't. Um, At the very least... What you can say is that defensive front seven that Pittsburgh has is fearsome, and they were blitzing on nearly every single play. So yeah, they were blitzing on every play. But when you blitz on every play, like there's one thing about not like creating holes and things like that. But how many offensive line penalties did we see today? I think three, three or four holdings that basically just ended drives because 
God forbid the Vikings ever get in longer than first and ten. I mean, that's yeah. a that's a death sentence for an offense, especially run by Case Keenum. So, I mean, offensive line was not great today. I mean, I think the receivers did as well as they possibly could, given the circumstance. And Dalvin Cook kind of turned it on later in the game. He ended up being, I don't he had know. like 65 yards yeah, he or wasn't, so. he wasn't terrible. And he, sh- he should have had a touchdown, too. Let me just say that. But, but C.J. Ham. <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, offensive line wasn't great, and based on that, you know, it starts with the offensive line. I think the rest of the offense did well enough, given the circumstances. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook had 12 carries for 64 yards, and really that uh, stat line is really looks looks okay just because of his beautiful, long, almost touchdown run. It was a 25-yard run. What did you what did you think about Cook's performance? I think for me the the challenge was we weren't able to get anything going on the ground in the first half, and um, it, it kind of it really really closed up the game for the Vikings. Yeah, and that's what happens when you have a backup quarterback in is they can run eight in the box on you, and until you throw successfully, they're just going to keep doing that and the Vikings weren't able to make Pittsburgh pay for that eight in the box style until really that one drive. Right. And it's not that Dalvin Cook looked bad. I think that's an important distinction to make. He looked good, but when you're throwing eight, nine into the box, I mean, even Adrian couldn't get yards off of that. I know. Even Adrian in his prime. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, he did as well as he possibly could given the circumstance, but when... You're coming off of that like shotgun handoff and guys are in your backfield right away. There's not really much you can do there. So I, I I think he had as good as a game as he possibly could, again, given the, the yep. lack of offensive line support. So moving forward, do you think that you know we can we're gonna be able to put an asterisk by this game um, because of the starting quarterback? Um, what what do you think moving forward need to see from the Vikings in order to be successful next week against Tampa Bay? Do you think we're going to see more of week one Vikings or do you think some of the issues that were certainly apparent today are, are going to be things that are problems moving forward? I think as long as we get Sam Bradford back, I think that's going to be obviously the number one key. But another thing is the defense hasn't created a turnover yet. And granted, it's been against Roethlisberger and Breeze. The defense is going to need to make a play and turn the ball over like they did so well the first half of last year. So I think I think that's another thing is the offense can't do it alone, even if we do play as well as we did against uh, the Saints in week one. The defense is going to have to step up and make a play. Yeah, I, I obviously, as Quinn alluded to, Sam Bradford is the key here. If Case Keenum starts, I don't see... Season over. Yeah, well, season over, but also... Until we can pull Teddy off the pup list. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that could that could happen. Uh, probably not. But if uh, Case Keenum's starting, I don't have much hope for the season. Um, I You know, I think we should see an offense somewhere in the middle 
between week one and week two. I don't think we'll ever hit the highs of week one unless Bradford comes back. And I don't even know if we do that because we did that against like a god awful defense, like just historically bad defense. But um, yeah, if Bradford comes back, maybe closer to how that week one offense worked. If Keenum, and uh, it's kind of like throwing throwing darts at a dartboard with your eyes closed. So. so okay, so here's a question. Does Sam Bradford play next week? I say no. Yeah, I mean they were they were saying today that he was having trouble putting uh, any any pressure on that knee and his dropbacks. So I, that to me does not suggest good things that he's still having these swelling issues a week after a game. Yeah, I, I tend to tend to agree. So we're three for three and saying Sam Bradford does not play next week. Now the question here is, is that just normal Viking cynicism that we've all come to know and love? Or do we actually think that there is something? I I tend to side with the cynicism because <laughs> um it's hasn't let me down, you know, right? Like whatever bad can happen, something worse will happen down the road, right? So um yeah, I I think being a Vikings fan and I've seen this Story play multiple times. Last year was the five and zero start. This year it's the knee. I mean, what's next year? Next be? year it could be God knows what. But Delvin Cook tearing all three ligaments in his knee and never playing again. Yeah, that could definitely happen. I mean, um, but yeah, we've we've seen this story before, so there's no reason to doubt that Sam Bradford could be out indefinitely, and then we have two quarterbacks with knee injuries that can't play and we're spending and that number what, one 20, guy. 20 million. How much are we spending on both of them combined? Uh, about 20 million, 20 million just tied up on guys on the IR. So, so that's the life of Vikings fan, I guess. And, uh, that the, what's that guy? Number one that we signed from yeah, um, Denver. One. He's going to, he'll start a game at some yeah. point. I'm calling yeah. it right now. He's number one, which is pretty excellent. Like if he starts, I'll buy a Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> number one in our hearts. Yeah, exactly. So real quickly, let's look ahead to next week playing Tampa Bay. And we don't really have a strong sample size for really who this Tampa Bay team is this year. There's certainly a lot of potential there. Um, Of course, week one, game postponed because of Hurricane Irma. And today they beat the Chicago Bears 29-7. to Bears really showed nothing this game. And uh, Winston, 18 for 30, 204 yards and a touchdown. Um, so really not huge offensive sacks. And of course, Tampa Bay got a lot of production out of their defense. Um, what, what are your kind of general feelings, thoughts, predictions well, for next week? Tampa Bay, uh, I'll, I'll go on the record here saying my Super Bowl prediction is the Raiders over the Buccaneers. I picked Tampa Bay to go to the Super Bowl preseason. So I'm on the Tampa Bay bandwagon, have been um, since last year, even before they signed Deshaun Jackson. So I'm going to say that Tampa Bay comes in and puts up about 27 to 30 points here and wins regardless of who's playing quarterback. I tend to agree there. I think Tampa Bay will end up beating us at home, especially if Keenum is starting. I think it's going to be... Probably not not as many points as Quinn said, but maybe you know like a nineteen to five game. Um, We're getting a safety. Yep. Hell yeah! Hell 19 yeah! Nineteen to five game. Uh, I think Tampa Bay comes in and 
and beats us, unfortunately. Speaking of predictions, though, I know we'll get to yours, Carl, here in a in a second, but I think we should also do season predictions because I don't think we did that in our first episode. We did not. So Quinn has already gone on record with his Super Bowl predictions. Let's hear your Tampa Bay prediction, and then we'll do a season-long one. Yeah, so my Tampa Bay predictions, I mean, the issue we're quickly running in here again, which is something that we struggled with last year, is uh, with our offensive production of what it is, we rely on our defense not only just to keep us in games, but to win us games. And so we're facing three very good offenses in the first three weeks of the season. Um, we've seen New Orleans, while they, we, we did very well against them, garbage time touchdown, still put up 19 points, still 19 points today. Uh, 26 is put up against us. And I think we're going to see about that spread, if not a little bit more, in what Tampa Bay is probably going to put up against us. Um, so for me, I think if we hold Tampa Bay to less than 20 points, we're going to win this game. Fewer. Do I think that's likely? Probably not. Um, I, I'm going to go with a, a kind of a cool, you know, 24 Nine, another nine pointer, because we're not gonna we're not gonna make our extra point, and it's not gonna be three field goals. It's gonna be a missed extra point um, win for Tampa Bay. So yeah, we'll take a quick break, and then we'll bring you our season predictions very shortly. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Purple 3 Cap. Uh, as you had heard, we are about to do season-long predictions. And as you have heard, I have also made my bold prediction of Oakland over Tampa Bay. Because I could be boring like everybody else in this room and say, oh, it's going to be the perennial uh, Super Bowl holder of the Patriots in the AFC and then one of three or four rotating NFC teams, including the Seahawks, Packers, and I don't know, whoever else might have you. But so rather than do that, I made it interesting. Teams that really inspire hope, such as the Raiders winning their Super Bowl in the last year in Oakland and then the upstart Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So, Nicole, who do you have for your Super Bowl teams? For the Super Bowl. Yes. Carl, can you tell me where is the Super Bowl being played this year? Well, let me tell you, the uh, Super Bowl is playing uh, very close to home. It's being played at U.S. Bank Stadium in the city of Minneapolis. All right. City of Minneapolis in Minnesota, all right? That's uh, Vikings territory, correct? Vikings territory, Minneapolis, you could say? Uh, Well, some Packers fans would say differently, but... Considering it's in Vikings territory... And the Super Bowl is going to be played here for the first time in... 25 years. 25 years. My Super Bowl prediction is going to be, from the AFC, the Kansas City Chiefs. Yes, you heard me. You made that late. You made that late. Chiefs versus... Mine was preseason. The Green Bay Packers. The Green Bay Packers. And I have the Green Bay Packers beating the Chiefs. On the Vikings field, which would be super classic, and I wouldn't doubt that happening. So I have the Green Bay Packers winning in Minneapolis this year. How about you, Carl? Well, let me first start off and tell you a team that is not going to make the Super Bowl, and that's it's not going to be Seattle. They are not that good of a football team. They had way too good of odds going into the season. There's a ton of issues with that team. It's not going to be Seattle. Uh, you know, 
after that, you know, we get into these, you know, perennial favorites, right? That, of course, they're tough, very tough to bet against. But to start off for the NFC, I'm going to I'm going to go with a long shot. I think I think uh, it's going to be a team from the NFC East that's going to make the Super mm. Bowl. And let me tell you, it's not Dallas. Dallas is not going to make the Super Bowl. I'll drink to that. Eagles, they're going to win the wild oh, wow. card. I like it. They're going to have a 10 and 6 I season like it. and then they're going to ride the hot hand of oh. Carson North Wentz. Dakota product, <laughs> the North. Carson Wentz. The He's Super the hometown wow. hero. Straight to the Super Bowl. Um, you know, on the I can get behind that. On the other side of the league, um, I also have kind of an, an upset pick here. A team that I, you have heard me say uh, for weeks now that I think they're going to be really good. Another upstart quarterback, Marcus Mariota. I like it. I like it. He's going to start Ooh. throwing more and more dimes. That offense is legit. Very strong offensive line. I think you're going to see a very similar run for the Titans than you saw from Dallas last year, where you have a really like good it. offensive line, really good running backs, and you're going to get enough production from the quarterback and the wide receivers that they're going to put up enough points. The defense is going to do just enough, and they're going to be able to roll over teams. And I think they're going to be able to roll over through the AFC straight to the Super Bowl. Who's going to win? I'm going to say... Oof. I, I'm gonna. I don't know who's gonna win, um, but you gotta uh, make a pick. Uh, Come on, you know. I, I, if both, I were you, I'd go with the hometown boy. Yeah, Carson I mean, Wentz. I, both, but both teams like to gag. So oh. I mean, probably. Yeah, I'll go with Carson there Wentz. Yeah, Eagles, I like it. I like it. Super Bowl. There you go. All right. Yeah. N- next up, we'll go uh, MVP. MVP, most valuable quarterback is what the award should be changed to and sticking with my Raiders Derek Carr Derek Carr that's a good pick it's a great pick but not as good as my pick my pick this man's gonna get the respect he deserves he's been tossed aside before he's been traded away I am sticking with my Super Bowl pick Alex Smith is going to win MVP. You, Alex Smith wins MVP, I'm paying you $20. That's not even a bet. If he wins MVP, I'm paying you $20. So with uh, my MVP pick, I'm going to stick. You know, last year we had a we had a team win the Super Bowl with a narrative that just seemed like it was there just to piss off Roger Goodell. This year, I think we're going to have a similar thing happen Zeke Elliott is going to win the MVP okay. just to piss off the NFL. I think Dak is not going to have really a strong season, but I think Zeke Elliott is going to run over the competition and put up ridiculous numbers good enough to win him the MVP award. Okay, okay. I feel like you all my picks you shit on, excuse me, and all <laughs> of uh, Carl's picks you you uh, agree with. I always like uh, pissing off Roger Goodell. That's the only reason. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't mm-hmm. think. But Alex Smith, we've seen a ceiling. We've seen as good as he can just, get. Zeke saying, Elliott has the potential to rush Alex for 2,000 yards. I'm holding you to I that. Think, one yeah, yeah. And I told you, I told you that it's if he gets, if he wins MVP... I mean, he's Captain Bus Driver. He's got he's got the running game. He's not asked to put up MVP numbers. That's the thing. The only time he does put up MVP numbers 
is when his team's behind. Mm-hmm. He wins games by going 18 for 24 for 200 yards and one touchdown. Yeah, I don't think he's... He might not have ever thrown for 300 yards. There's some ridiculous yeah. stat about that. Just wait. Just wait. He's right. going to lead well, those I, I Chiefs think, to the Super Bowl. I, I think the Chiefs are going to make the playoffs. They're a really good team this year. And I would have said that before they beat the Patriots on the road. But Same. So nice. <laughs> we, have, uh, we have just two more predictions for you, and I think we're going to do it in this order. So we'll, first, we'll do your predictions for the overall Viking season. And then after that, we'll do predictions for who you think is going to win the NFC North, because I think that follows from where we think the Vikings are going to end up. Um, so we'll start, uh, Quinn, with your, your Vikings prediction. Okay. Vikings, going to go nuts this year. It's going to be an 11-5 and season, and we are winning the NFC North. And here's why. Aaron Rodgers is going to get hurt, and Matt Stafford is going to get hurt. And here's the kicker. Sam Bradford's going to get hurt, and that number one guy is... No, I'm, I'm kidding, though. I, I do think this Vikings team is, is for real. And I think, having seen them play, I think Delvin Cook gives them a new dimension that we haven't seen in a long time, really since Chester Taylor was the back in 2006. Just kind of that three-down back that can catch and can block. And I I just think that there's much more depth on this team. And having seen the Packers play the Seahawks, they did not look all that convincing. Um, And I I still am not always sold on the Lions because, let's face it, they're the Lions. And, of course, one of the losses that the Vikings have will be on the road at Chicago, as always. Nicole, what you got? So last year, I predicted the Vikings to go... 15 and 1. 14 and 2, actually. Regardless, it was something ridiculous. And I was drinking the Kool Aid. I'm not going to lie. But I think I was happy because Vikings were doing so well. My boys in blue at Michigan were doing well. You know, things were looking real nice. This year, I will recalibrate. I will recalibrate to Viking cynicism. We are going to go 8 and 8 again. All right, <laughs> we're gonna go right and right down the middle, eight and eight again. The thing is, eight and eight is gonna be good enough to make a wild card position. That's but, what I'm talking but, about. But we're not gonna make that position, right? <laughs> there are gonna be three teams that are eight and eight. We're gonna miss out <laughs> by some fluky rule like points for or points against or some tiebreaker. <laughs> We're going to end up with the 15th pick in the draft. We're going to draft some stupid player that doesn't do anything for us, but we're going to finish 8-8. Eight and eight. I think the Green Bay Packers will win the NFC North with stiff competition from the Detroit Lions. I think it's gonna, they're going to be a good team in all seriousness. But Green Bay will figure out their, uh, their stuff. They didn't look great, I agree, against uh, Seattle. But, you know, at the end of the day, they got – stupid Aaron Rodgers who does stupid things all the time and Green Bay. Oh wait, half the defense jumped (laughs) off sides and touched offensive players. Oh well, free play anyway. What? Jordy Nelson's wide open down the field? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's going to happen a lot. And the Packers offense is going to, you know, have this, uh, they're going to lock up the division. Lions is going to be close. I think, um, What's that? The Bears. The Bears will be terrible, but we always lose in Soldier Field, so I, I tend to agree again with Quinn here that we will lose at Soldier Field because that's just classic Viking. So for me, it's 8-8. Eight and eight. For me, I've always said that there is a really limited range where this team could finish this year. On the low end, 
six and ten. They're not going to be a worse than a six and ten team. They're going to somehow even even if Case Keenum starts for the rest of the year, they still find a way to win five more games. On the other end, I, I don't think they're more than a ten win team. Oh, they are. <laughs> Um, and, and so I, you're somewhere in that very small spectrum, but of course I, I am, I am of course pessimistic about the Vikings, but still optimistic enough to say we're going to finish 10 and six and we're going to get a wild card spot. Um, and we'll see, uh, how it goes from there. Um, I think that the Detroit Lions are going to finish on top of the division with Whoa. an 11 and five record. Packers are going to finish nine and seven and just miss out. Oh, these are some hot takes. Actually, I would love, I, I would give up the Vikings winning the division to see the Lions win the division and the Packers make the playoffs. And miss, In, you mean? Yes. Miss the playoffs. Thanks. Okay. <laughs> I would love to see the Packers make the playoffs. Oh, yeah. No. Seeing the Packers just miss the playoffs altogether and the Lions win, I'd, I'd be okay with that. Yeah. Just to eliminate any chance of the Packers winning the Super Bowl here, even though, <laughs> yeah, probabilities are high. <laughs> and for the record, I probably would have picked the Packers to win the Super Bowl if I weren't already, if I didn't bandwagon on the Buccaneers back in January. <laughs> so it's one of those things where I have to kind of stick with that. So yeah. Well, there you have it, Purple Nation. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, predictions rampant, running rampant here. Um, and hopefully that leaves you on a lighter note than the disappointment in Pittsburgh. Join us next week as we break down the game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Hopefully we'll be coming back with a W. Coming back to the winning side of things with a 2-1 record. Talk to you then. <laughs>